The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and tested him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause whatsoever? He said in reply, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. They said to him, Then why did Moses command that the man give the woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, and marries another, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If that is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. He answered, Not all can accept this word, but only those to whom it is granted. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so. Some because they were made so by others. Some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever can accept this ought to accept it. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings today present the issue of marriage before us, but not in a merely legalistic way. That is the temptation uh, to understand the conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. But our readings today give us a broader picture of the reality of marriage, beginning with what we hear in the words of the prophet Ezekiel, an oracle whose meaning turns around the very idea of marriage. And here, marriage is the way God describes his own relationship with his people and specifically with the city of Jerusalem. In a remarkably blunt, even harsh way, the Lord, through the prophet, speaks to the city of Jerusalem and says, remember who you are and who you were. Jerusalem was not a city that was built by the Jews. Israel did not build Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a backwater. 
It was a city in the mountains settled by the Canaanites. It was not important. It was not beautiful. It was not a center of culture or power. And the Lord reminds them of that. It was a Jebusite city, a Canaanite city, that Israel eventually settled into. But in its birth, it had no great dignity. And so the Lord uses this image of a little girl who was born but not wanted, cast aside, not valued, come into the world in an awkward way, left on her own without dignity and without a future. And in very moving terms, he speaks of how he noticed this one that the world could care less about. He noticed this one that the world had no interest in. And he made possible her survival. Until that day, when all was ready, and this city, this backwater, this forgotten little corner of the Middle East would be raised to the great dignity of becoming the capital of his people. And adorned by David and Solomon and the future kings with wealth and architecture and a temple where the Lord's glory would dwell near his people. And as the Lord speaks in this way, he speaks of that moment where I take your shame away and I crown you with glory and I clothed you in goodness. And I unveiled for you a beauty you did not know you could possess. What a remarkably moving description this is. And the oracle then moves, however, to the fact that the wife, the woman, becomes unfaithful, falls in love with her own beauty. I've blessed you so much, and you've fallen in love with yourself. And because you've fallen in love with yourself, you no longer look to me. You look to your mirror. Because you've fallen in love with yourself, you look to yourself. And in looking to yourself, you've lost yourself because you've ended up giving yourself away. Following all of those who flatter you, all of those who call to you, all of those who speak to the most superficial element of your beauty, and you've turned from me. And here we have the Lord now speaking from the perspective of the scorned husband whose wife has been unfaithful, not just once, but serially, repeatedly, in multiple ways. And as we see all too often, what is the classic response to this? A bill of divorce. 
and yet note what the Lord says. I will not do that. What a context within which to hear the teaching of Jesus. What an important context within which to hear the teaching of Jesus. The Lord saying, divorce is not my way. Imagine if when the Lord chose his people, he said, and if it doesn't work out, we could just get divorced. Imagine if the Lord gave us the reward of our infidelity and nothing else. Where would we be? And so here we see that this image of a wounded and struggling marriage, the marital imagery of sacred scripture is beautiful because it is often decidedly not romantic. The Lord doesn't simply hold out the beautiful element of marriage. He doesn't simply hold out the pleasant side of marriage. He holds out the bitter struggle that is often a part of marriage and says, oh, I know this because I live this with you, with my people, with the individual believer and with the entire people. And as often as you give me a reason to cast you aside, to abandon you, I will not do that. In fact, what does the Lord decide? In the fullness of time, his son steps out of the glory of heaven and takes on our flesh and the two shall be one flesh. Note how the Lord takes this idea of I will not separate myself from you to an incredible degree. Taking even our flesh onto himself, embracing even the fleshly reality of our dying. Such is his oneness with us. There is no bill of divorce that the Lord intends to write. And it is Jesus in whom all of this will happen. Just as Eve is built up from the rib of Adam, the church is built up from the blood and water that flow from the open side of Christ on his cross. How marvelous. And so imagine now what goes through the heart and the mind of the Lord. He who spoke this oracle through Ezekiel when the Pharisees come and say, divorce, is it good? And this Lord, this Lord, whose love for unfaithful humanity has pulled him out of heaven to us is the one who gets that question. This one who looks at the Pharisees and says, across the centuries you have been unfaithful to me and I have not divorced you. 
This one, hearing that voice that says, well, if it gets hard, can we just stop? And he's looking ahead to that day when on his cross he sheds his blood. He's the one that they're asking this. And so he says, why do we always begin with how we can walk away? Why do we begin there? Why don't we take a look at what this is? And as he's speaking, the Lord has before his eyes the radical fullness of the place of married life in his plan, which is not merely a plan for how the world gets populated, although that's involved. It is this, the love of husband for wife and wife for husband shows the world the love of God for his people and the people for God in a way that nothing else can, in a way that nothing else does. The intimate union of the Lord with his people and the people with their Lord is given a true and visible means of showing itself in this world, in the love of husband for wife and wife for husband. Notice how at the end of this teaching, Jesus refers to those who can get married, those who can't get married, and those who don't get married for the sake of the kingdom. And note that that's all an answer to St. Peter's comment, oh my God, Lord, why should we get married in the first place? You know, and, but note, note, note where this reaction comes from. The Pharisees are asking for permission. The Pharisees are asking, what are we allowed to do? Jesus, in answering them, speaks about something greater than that. What is the very essence of marriage? And the amazing thing is that confronted with the full greatness of marriage, Peter says, oh my God, who can do that? Note the difference. Note the difference. There's a sense of standing before a reality that has a beauty, a dignity, a greatness about it that gives him pause. In other words, it's not a thing to be taken lightly. It is not a thing to be taken for granted because there is the touch of the hand of God on marriage. And so this is why the Lord then says, let's not start with Moses because that's the wrong place, because Moses didn't invent marriage. Marriage doesn't come from Mount Sinai. Marriage comes from the beginning, from the very way that men and women are created for one another. And note that insistence. There is a fundamental orientation of 
man for woman, woman for man, that comes from the hand of God. And it is an orientation that tends toward union, toward oneness. And this oneness, Jesus says, is not contractual. It is not a matter of coming to a legal agreement. It is a oneness of flesh, a oneness of person. It is a giving of one to the other that is so deep and so intimate, we can speak not simply of two, of husband and wife, but of one, of the marriage, of the union, of the couple. And a union like that does not look for, in, does not look for ways to separate. Because one cannot separate such a thing without violence. You know, that's, that's the truth. If they are one flesh, then separating them means literally cutting them apart. And we only have to look at the brokenness of families to see how true that is. And in speaking this way, the Lord is insisting this has to be respected. This has to be respected, most especially before one enters into it, because this is what one is moving toward. But, but this union, this love of husband for wife and wife for husband, the two becoming one is the source of every other form of human love except the love of the human heart for God, which is first. Note the order of things. God creates man and woman. Man and woman have a relationship with God. That is the first love. Man and woman are created for one another. That is the second form of human love. Only after that, only as the child of that, only as the fruit of that, is there the love of mother for her children or father for his children. Motherhood is not the first or the greatest form of human love. Marriage is. Note how marvelous that is. From the hand of God, without man and woman becoming one flesh, there is no such thing as motherhood in a truly, fully human way. There is no such thing as fatherhood in a true and fully human way. That is the fruit. It's so easy to lose sight of that. And so note how then the very fruitfulness of mankind, the very fruitfulness of humanity, flows out of the fruitful garden where man and woman are brought together. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, and you're talking about ending that. 
and what allows you to do that. It's the wrong starting point. Yeah, and this is not, this is not the Lord being indifferent to the painful realities of our families, to the painful realities of our broken relationships, to the fact that all so many of us entered into relationships before we were ready. He's not speaking narrowly about that, saying, somehow if your marriage didn't work, you're a failure. What he's saying is we can't lose sight of how great this is, of how good this is, of how wonderful this is. Because when we do, when we do, we lose ourselves and we lose our world. Jerusalem, lost and exiled and broken in the world. Why? She fell out of love with her God, fell too much in love with herself. How fortunate that the Lord will not abandon her. How fortunate that the Lord will not find a reason to give a bill of divorce. How fortunate that the Lord is willing to put the sacrifice and the work in. How marvelous. In our present world, unfortunately, we've made all of our most important relationships matters of disposability and convenience. When it's inconvenient, I can stop. Nothing is permanent except my desire to satisfy myself. And so everything becomes flexible. And yet note what the Lord says. Certain things, certain things have to endure. And the cost of breaking them is wounding yourself, hurting yourself. Why look to do that? And it makes it so very important then for us to pray for our own families and to pray for all families. But as we do so, we should do so strengthened by the fact that from this altar, that same Lord Jesus Christ comes to us whose hearts have been so adulterous and so unfaithful spiritually, and yet he comes. And he is pleased that we, his unfaithful people, can come forward. And we stretch out our hands and we receive him, body and blood. And the two become one flesh. How marvelously intimate, how gloriously loving that is. And it is exactly that that the world needs to see from Christian marriages. This faithfulness, this union, this willingness to fight and sacrifice to maintain it, this willingness to change for the good of the other. How absolutely necessary it is in a world that grows more selfish by the day. We religious, the church has long said, symbolize the not yet of the kingdom. We do not marry. We do not acquire private wealth. We 
lay aside many things for the sake of that which is coming but is not here, the not yet of the kingdom. But marriage, marriage, the church has long said, when it's well lived, represents the glorious already of the kingdom, the goodness that's already here, the love that is already here, the mercy that is already here. What a marvelous vocation that is, to live, to embrace, and then to show the already of the kingdom. Amen.